This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for June 22nd, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page, and you just click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join alongside my friend and co-host Case Lowe and Case. We've had some weird weather in our both of our areas over the last week, haven't we? It's twister season, Mike. It is uh it's been very hectic in Illinois these past few days. Not necessarily in the city itself where I'm at, although I will say a few nights ago, right as I had fallen asleep, right after watching a thrilling Hawks 76ers game seven, where the better team, the Atlanta Hawks, won that game, right as I fell asleep. I was awoken by a storm warning alert on my phone. I could not figure out what it was at first. I I don't know if this is canon on the show yet, but let me establish it here and now that I have a incredible fear of fire. I don't like fire at all. I don't like being around it. I don't even like fire pits that much because fire destroys everything. There's kind of no returning from that. And at first when my phone went off, I thought it was the fire alarm and I freaked out for a second trying to figure out what the noise was and how i was going to get out of this building then i realized oh just my phone never mind uh and then that that night the biggest tornado in 50 years uh unfortunately destroyed uh an illinois suburb or at least you know a neighborhood in an illinois suburb luckily as of the time of recording no fatalities which is remarkable i think one person was in critical condition but yeah, it came out of nowhere because Illinois has been in a drought this year, hasn't really rained a ton, and then all of a sudden we had really, really bad weather a few nights ago. And, you know, the exact opposite for me, it's been pretty much one of the most damp years in South Carolina, and we got Claudette yesterday, and it was interesting. Of course, I have history dealing with tropical storms and, tro- and hurricanes, so it wasn't necessarily anything. Like, it wasn't too bad, to be honest, but it was more of like, okay— this is the first time that I'm dealing with this with a dog now. And I was like, how is he going to deal with like the storms? How is he going to deal with the wind? And for the most part, it was like nothing much like usual. You're just going to have to exercise him inside rather than outside. But it just is one of those things I'm like, it's not even July and I'm already dealing with this. And for where I live, Case, you know where I live in South Carolina, it takes a lot of effort for any tropical di- uh, disturbance to even get to me. So Claudette had a wish to go visit me and it just kind of happened. It kind of happened. But we are not here to talk about weather, even though I was a weather kid case growing up. 
Uh, I, I was not. I just I yeah, I don't I don't really understand it because it kind of falls into the science realm where my only response is, yeah, I'll take your word for it. Seems cool. I guess I don't really understand that world. I, I will say my house was struck by lightning as a kid, and that was really that was scary. Yeah, no, no fire. Believe it or not, I it knocked out like one of our electrical boxes or whatever. We had to kind of rework the way we had electricity in the house. But yeah, that was in the midst of a tornado warning and our house got zapped and that that was pretty scary i i i've never like growing up in the uh, tornado belt like i like even before we went on air it's like hey let's go look at this photo of something of a tornado that hit my hometown before you were born and why i don't mess with tornadoes now but it's one of those things that like you net you're never like even growing up in texas you can like contextualize it and be like all right like these are things that happens but like as soon as you hear a siren you're just like oh okay and it's one of those things that like now with like super high powered doppler i don't like being back in my day but like it was one of those things that it's insane now they're like oh yeah no this uh that this rotational cell is going through this neighborhood it'll be at this street at this time period and, and like that just never was the case growing up and i find that kind of stuff cool like i i pay for a weather app on my phone case I am that kind you, of person. You didn't need to tell me that for me to know that. Everything about your personality <laughs> says that you pay for a weather app, Mike Spears. That's it's it, it, not a dig, not a dig, but certainly an observation. Certainly something that, again, I knew that before you told me that. Hey, it's a great little app. It, it can log on to other people's publicly accessible private uh, weather stations. So I get one that's actually just right across the big street from me. Someone has weather tower in their backyard, and I piggyback off of it. So... It, it, it's neat I, I like that kind of stuff but that's not what all we're here to talk about guys it has been a quiet week in dragon gate so we're doing some stuff that's a little bit different we do have some topics that we're going to get to off the top we'll be talking about the mystery of kaido ishida we'll be talking about units historically in dragon gate and then we'll close out talking about what this kobe Sembo hall show that like my birthday is next week case but i'm looking at this show and up and down this card it is Hey, Mike, happy early birthday. You're getting a three-way six-man tag in Kobe. <laughs> yeah, no, that Kobe. Let's talk about that Kobe card real okay. quick. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's knock it out because it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, June 26th, this will air on the Dragon Gate Network. It is from Kobe Samba Hall, the second show there this month. I'll run through the card real quick, Mike. You can sound off on your thoughts once I'm all the way through. We open with high-end Yamato and Kagatora. They're going to be wrestling Don, Fuji, and Punch Tamanaga. Match two, special singles match, special both in the context of this promotion and special in the place of our hearts. Masaki Mochizuki versus Funky Jackie Kamei. We get a Royal Sambo battle, Royal notable participants there being KZ, UT, Konamama Ichikawa, and I would say uh, Diane Furno. I'll, I'll mark him as a notable entry there. Tag team match, Jason Lee and Kota Minora against Yasushi Kanda and Takashi Yoshida. Match five, our semi-main event. It is a now, Mike. Do you know how to pronounce this company's name that is sponsoring this eight-man tag match? Yes, it is one of Yoshino's most famous sponsors. It is Tea Tree. It they do customized shoes. It uh, that makes sense. T T R E makes sense that it's Tea Tree. I wasn't confident of that, but it is the Tea Tree Cup eight-man tag team match, Speed Star Final Countdown in Kobe. Yoshino, Naruki Doi, Shun Skywalker, and Dragon Daya against the R.E.D. team of BB Hulk, Kai, SB Kento, and Hyo. 
And like Mike alluded to earlier, our main event three-way six-man tag team match with high ends Dragon Kid, Kaisuke Akuda, and Ben K wrestling the Natural Vibes trio of Susumu Yokosuka, Genki Horiguchi, and King Shimizu, and the R.E.D. trio of Eita, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Kaito Ishida. Yeah, so just everything on this card really to me is stuff that i'm incredibly fascinated in i mean don fuji versus yamato and kakatora like don fuji and yamato just have like this chemistry of like these two guys just like getting rowdy with each other so that'll be something to watch out for in that first match i mean this might as well we call it special it's the special spears uh singles match masaki mochizuki versus funky jackie kame i'm excited to see a young turtle coon have to sell his stomach when Masaki Mochizuki decides to punch it a lot. Interesting that you brought up Daya Inferno for that because the person who kind of stood out to me in this was La Estrella in this Sambo. Oh yeah, I guess that's fair. I I I feel like was he in the uh the one earlier this month? I don't remember. I I do have my notebook in front of me. I since we didn't have any shows, I have not I I didn't have it open, but I I want to say that Estrella has been in these battle royals before, if not the one earlier this month. He was not in the one earlier this month, but yeah, that didn't jump out to me. This seems like a place where, you know, look, quite honestly, I don't really want him in that speed star match because I really like the tandem there of Skywalker and Daya and Minora and Lee are busy on this show as they continue to establish a more permanent tag team. So yeah, that's, that's where he ends up there. And that is, that is going to be very interesting. Again, he'll have Diamante in there. If I was a betting man, I would say if they don't make their entrance together, my guess is they are going to spend an extended amount of time with one another in the ring, Diamante and La Estrella kind of doing what they do best. But if those two get separated, all of a sudden now you're dealing with La Estrella and perhaps Problem Dragon, perhaps Yosuke Santa Maria, perhaps Sachi Hoko Boy. And I don't know what that is going to look like if that happens. I, I mean, the real sickless choice is Super Shisa versus La Shreya. I hope Super Shisa stretches him. I think that'd be tremendously entertaining. Yeah, and then, like, as you said, uh, Mino Lee reuniting against Kanda and Yoshida. Uh, you, you know, the unaffiliated team is there. Kanda, when he wants to work, is great. And we've been charmed by Yoshida's face turn. It's just one of those things that the nice thing about Yoshida's face turn was with, was with Masaki Mochizuki. Yeah, so. There's the difference there. We liked Yoshida's face turn because he was teaming with Masaki Mochizuki. Yasushi Kanda, not exactly jumping off the page there. But I will say, boy, that's that seems like the... Uh, the start of a new unit forming either right before or right after Kobe, you throw Kanda Yoshida. And like we've been saying, Mochi Fuji and maybe a fifth guy, maybe a sixth guy. And and that feels like it's going to be a unit that fills out there. And, and, and like, this is what we always like this. This card is a perfect example of us saying four members in a unit is an issue five and six. That's where you could have the real fun here because you look at this card and because of having all these people in the units, you're able to have, Minolina tag match, Lashreya doing his thing, and then Shun and Daya in this uh, Speedstar Final Countdown match. Then you look at uh, Natural Vibes, you get to have the trio in the main event, and then you can intersperse them throughout the card. And it's just like one of those things that like, you look at this, and you're like, okay, no, this makes perfect sense why you would do this. And then high end, high end now, you, you have a tag team in the opener, and then you get to have the main event there. And it's just, you need to have at least five people in a unit. Like, that's when you're able to really kind of balance a card around that but yeah no speedstar eight man tag uh tea tree whatever final countdown kobe do you think we get to see a new move bequest this weekend 
I, I think that's absolutely the direction they're going in. Now, your memory with this stuff is a little bit better than mine. Has Dragon Daya been gifted a move by Masato Yoshino yet? He has not. Just so that everyone is keeps a fresh in memory, Kamei got the Torbellino, UT got the Missile Centon, Jason Lee got the Sling Blade, and uh, Estrella got the Komori, the, his choke. So there's still a lot of stuff left there. Is, of course, Lightning Spiral. I mean, that's the big one. Uh, both versions of the Sol Naciente, uh, another space. And I think those are like the, the three really big moves he still has left outstanding. This is a pretty abstract question. I don't, I don't think there's an answer to this, but you would know better than me. Is there a specific move that you would attach to the Yoshino versus Dragon Kid feud that can then be, I guess, given to Dragon Daya? Well, uh, that's where you had a lot of work with the Bible. And okay. it was like yeah. there was that because then he would be able to do the from jungle out of the Bible. So maybe he could get the from jungle. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I Like I said a few weeks ago, I really thought on this show we would get some sort of KZ and Doi interaction so KZ could pin him. We talked about when they ran Sambo earlier this month, KZ pinned Mochizuki, and I was thinking like, well, they're going to have him beat Mochizuki. They're going to have him beat Doi. Unfortunately, we can't get Pac in for one of these shows so he can kind of pin all of the guys that he's lost Dreamgate challenges to. Instead, you get KZ in the Battle Royal, which is odd. I guess I'm assuming... He's going to clean house there. It would be great to see KZ get the cane push in this Royal Sambo Battle Royal and just start eliminating everybody. <laughs> uh, hopefully the only thing KZ and Kane have in common, both in the ring and out of the ring. But I, I, I would be interested to see what's going to happen there. But I don't mind doing KZ being separated because I think this speed star match is really, really cool. And I look forward to watching that. Yeah. And then the main event, it's a three way six man tag. What's there not to love about this? Like, with a with a, yeah. I mean, that's an A team for Red Ata Shida Sakamoto. That's Yokosuka Horiguchi, Shimizu, uh, Horiguchi and Shimizu, and then Dragon Kid Akuda Benkei. There's no holes in, in that nine man lineup. That is all home runs there. Yeah, uh, and it's something that when I look at this match, uh, obviously the one title match that's not spoken for at Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival is the Twin Gate. So, just like looking at this, I mean, Ginky Sasumu getting a title shot maybe out of this. Genki, Susumu, Susumu, Shimizu, Shimizu, Genki, uh, any of those combinations would not surprise me. Yeah, because Benkei and Dragon Kid, that's just a little bit too abstract, and I feel like that Dragon Kid's going to be tied to Yoshino that weekend anyways. So th th that's at least my anticipation there, but great-looking card that's on the 26th on the Dragon Gate Network. It is a 6 p.m. Japanese local time uh, start, so check your local listings for that. And then, case we were talking about this before we recorded. That's not all they have this weekend. They have two really fun-looking hometown shows, including a 25th anniversary, and then also some nice appearances by people that are local to the regions and some and some many many promotions that, frankly, I did not hear of until I saw these cards. Yeah, I'll let you run down the oddities here, but on the 27th, we have in Osaka Izumu uh, City Plaza, the Gamma and Kness 25th anniversary show. Kness is a graduate of the War Dojo, is that correct? Uh, I'm trying to look it up real quick. Uh, 
he debuted that's right he debuted a michinoku pro and i always forget about that so i guess i would call him a michi pro graduate and then gamma who you know started coming around about 15 years ago he was a guy who again michinoku pro and then bounced to osaka and then bounced to dragon gate so 25th anniversary for two guys that are not homegrown students but guys that have been integral parts of the promotion for you know extended periods of time if you follow kness on twitter which i would recommend just because you can obviously translate the tweets and he's pretty active and kness is just one of those guys that i'm just intrigued by him he seems like he's a guy that's lived a pretty interesting life and he's been tweeting very openly about how his body's in bad shape he doesn't have a lot left of the tank and how this show is kind of a big deal for him it's unfortunate it's not making tape because i would really like to see his featured match, match four here, Susumu and Kness against SB Kento and Hyo. That sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, Nesca is one of the hallmark tag teams, so it's nice to get that. And then, yeah, we get Hiroki Moria from Energize with exclamation point pro wrestling, and then Shoichi Uchida from Dove Pro making an appearance against Yamato and Keisuke Akuda in match three. That's, I, I, I know that uh, Gamma for a while had an active hand in some of the micro indies in Osaka. I don't know if Energize is one of those, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's really where the link is between these two guys in the show. I don't I don't follow Dove, so I can't tell you if Uchida is an Osaka based guy or I've at least heard of Uchida. I don't I don't know if I could pick him out of a lineup, but I know I've seen him and I know I've at least heard his name before. I don't know anything about energized pro wrestling and i feel like at the very least just because i'm i'm friends with your perverted mind i hear a lot about secret base among other things i feel like i have a pretty good grasp of at least being able to identify sleazy japanese indies energized pro wrestling is one that was off the map for me this is new information yeah so uchida guess who trained uchida oh god i one of your indie faves oh shit okay uh uh billy ken kid habu ah ah I, it, it was one or the other it was one or the other and i went billy ken kid well if that's the if habu trained him then i would like to see him work so, so moria is actually 52 so he's an he's an older wrestler he has most of his stuff does not appear in cage match but he is from osaka so i, I have to imagine that he is a knucklehead with these guys going long back let me see if they're if his earliest announced match no, no, no. Uh, he must be working very low stuff. He he worked with Soccer Pro in its dieting days. So and he did Don uh Doton Bori, which you know that was one of the successful promotions. Here's a match that, that I saw on this New Year Eve shows for Doton Bori. Uh Joker of Gamarasu, uh Kazuaki Mihara, Kuga and Arachi versus Hiroi, Hiroki Mo, uh, Moria. Naoki Tanazaki, Super Delphin, and Ultraman Robin. That's good shit. That's good shit. Oh, oh, here's another thing. He he appear these two guys appear on Dragon Gate shows whenever they do these homecoming shows, these anniversary shows. So that that makes sense. That's oh, why. Oh, bad job out of me then. I probably should have recognized these names a little bit more. Hey, uh the 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 the, the thing that I noticed was Eita and Yosuke Samaria defeating them in 2014 at the the Gate of Maximum 2014 Night 9, the Road to Kobe World, Gamma Second Home Triumphant Return. <laughs> i to say that 10 times. I'd though. like to see that on a t-shirt. I would like to see the merch <laughs> for that show. And I'm sure if you go to Totokan, Gamma probably has a signed copy of that shirt available for you to buy. 
yeah no i mean that's a man that you know that as soon as like he's like okay this this gear i've wrestled in it at least a dozen times Let, let's see what i can get for it i love the hustle yeah yeah and, and that's not the only homecoming show because we have we have funky jackie kamei's homecoming and and totandori which you know the the most i mean we get kamei in the main event with uh natural vibes but further down the card inaba's buffalo from Totori Darazu Wrestling, which is something that I have never heard of. And you would think that I've heard of Inaba Buffalo before, but I've not heard of their home promotion. No, nor, nor had I. Again, familiar with the wrestler, but not the promotion there. So Drangi really going off the map with who is getting involved uh, this oh, oh, weekend. That's Black, that's Black Buffalo. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's fun stuff there. Again, I, I wish these shows were making tape just so we could see the odd names that are popping in. Fuck, I didn't know that was Black Buffalo until I mm-hmm. looked it up. Man, I I miss Black Buffalo. I love Black Buffalo. He was nice my favorite little, Nice little pro worker. Guys. Yeah, nice little Osaka pro hand. I, I, it's just one of those guys. It just in that Osaka pro void where it just seemed like one day they were all gone. And it's I think there's a real hole in Japanese wrestling where, you know, some sort of Osaka pro uh, Michinoku type promotion just a secondary juniors promotion behind Dragon Gate, I think would be such a welcome source of entertainment because even now, like I'm more interested when Michinoku makes tape of they've been filming matches in their dojo for like a year now. And Mm -hmm. depending on who's there, I'll watch those. And I have far more interest in that than seeing uh, Sasuke and Shinazaki do whatever they did in Cork and Hall, which is no dig on them. They're obviously incredible, but I'm not watching Michinoku Pro to watch a casket match. I would really just like to see a bunch of young, hungry six-man tags. And other than Dragon Gate, there's no, there's no place for that in Japanese wrestling right now, which is really just blowing my mind. Like I said a few weeks ago, I don't think there's ever been less depth in the juniors division throughout all of Japan. Yeah, yeah. And Black Buffalo is one of those guys. Like, he's from Tatori, so that's why he's on the show. But he's one of those guys that he disappeared. I mean, like, with things, like he would go work your your Dotanoris and the various Osaka uh, Gamma promotions, but he kind of just kind of phased out. Like for a while, like he was going to get an all Japan run, but didn't really pan out. Mike, let's quickly talk about Kaito Ishida. This saga seems yeah. to be concluded, but I wanted to bring it up here for those that maybe don't follow us on Twitter at open voice Kate, for those that were a little in the dark this past week, a week ago, June 16th, I was uh, sitting in my apartment and I started seeing a flurry of tweets from various fan accounts of people that live in Japan that I follow. And these are, I, I've tried, I'm sure I'm way off base on, or at least I'm missing a bunch of guys that are on the radar, but I have tried to follow a bunch of, of hardcore Dragon Gate fans just so I can get a feel for what they're into, people that are based in Japan. And I started seeing a flurry of tweets about Kaito Ishida and how it seemed like he was departing from the promotion, how uh, there were rumors about whether or not he was going to stay. There were rumors about whether or not he was going to go to, uh, well, I, I blanking on the name of the Ledette promotion. Uh, uh, great. Yes, that's right. Yes, it looks like Gleep, but it's great. Uh, there are a bunch of rumors there that, that he could possibly be going there. I sent uh, Kaito Oshida's Instagram story, which kicked off all of this, I sent that to two different people that speak the language. Uh, and then I sent it to Mike and I was like, Hey, this is something to look into. It seems like Ashida's hinting that he wants to leave the promotion or is leaving the promotion or has left the promotion. And we really weren't sure all the information that we had was that Ashida hadn't wrestled since June 3rd, which 
in any other promotion, maybe not that big of a deal, but Mike, when a Dragon Gate wrestler misses a show, isn't that typically public knowledge as to, you know, it's, it's a, a leg injury or they're taking time off or, you know, at, at this time, you know, contact tracing is always a possibility. It was right. a little weird that we hadn't heard anything, right? Yeah, and the th- there's two things about it that I just provide more context. Uh, she is not an active social media person. Like I follow him on uh, on various socials, and you know he I think he has like a grand total of ten Instagram posts from like three years. Like he's just not like this. So the fact that out of nowhere he did it was kind of remarkable. And and like the context of it was like his his message was like you can't. I guess forgive me if if I'm butchering this. It was basically saying like you can't be like. Uh, improving from below, I must do go my own way and do it from a pie was kind of like the, with the like, that's not the exact translation, but that was like the gist that I kind of got from it. And it's something that within Dragon Gate, so within the promotion and talking about how the roster works and how injuries work, usually if it's like an injury thing, it's announced way in event. It, it's a way, announced ahead of time. And if it's someone that's missing some shows, usually if you're at a certain level, like Gamma doesn't work all these shows just because we've talked about Gamma. Gamma does not work all the shows. He mainly works things that are taped. Uh, Kanichiro Rai only shows up when it's Tokyo. So when they don't show up, that's nothing. Like we anticipate that. But for when a Twin Gate champion has disappeared for a month, that's, and when someone that is in what's considered reasonably good health, I would say. Like, he had his neck injuries, but nothing really since then. Like, it, it is notable, and we both did our work after doing this. Like, it, I, I think the thing that, talking about the next step, it was very mixed messaging when we both reached out to our sources within the promotion. Well, the, yeah, that's the point that I want to emphasize here, because, uh, and this is I, I, it's a weird bone to pick. It's not targeted at anyone specific, but I did see some chatter once it was confirmed that Ashita was staying with Drangate of uh, us getting worked, or falling for a storyline, whatever it was, we reached out to two company sources immediately, one of whom was like, eh, this doesn't seem right, but I will ask, and one of whom was like, yeah, I don't I don't know. And when there's that level of murkiness within Drangate, that is, that is cause for a story, because again, this is a well-oiled machine, this is pretty much a family operation, and the fact that we had any sort of like, well, it could be something was enough yeah. for us to go forward and, and make that story public with, I, I think the other thing being, and this is where maybe our stance differed from other people that started talking about the story was we saw a lot of, you know, Oh, is Ashita going to go to new Japan? Is he going to go to Noah? Is he going to go to all Japan? Look, I would love to see Ashita in new Japan. I think that'd be cool as shit. There's no logical pathway for him to get there uh, to our understanding. No. It's not like he and Shingo are boys. And also that's just not how New Japan operates. You know, they could have raided Dragon Gate years ago if they wanted to. They haven't done that. I don't think he's going there. They have there. a pretty good relationship about that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly, too. exactly. Uh, All Japan would make no sense. Noah, he'd fit it. He'd fit like a glove in Noah. But I, I, I would fly to Japan and prevent him from going to Noah if that was suddenly a possibility. He does not deserve to be in that juniors division. Uh, the option there was that his best friend, as far as we know still, is Takahiro Yamamura, who is involved with great, you know, Shima's, you know, Shima's bubble, whatever it is. And that seemed like a very logical jump for uh, for Ashita to make, at least to us. So yeah. we thought there was a little bit of smoke to the fire there. Yeah, and as well, 
uh, it's worth noting that Dragon Gate and people within the Dragon Gate roster have gotten particularly close to kickboxers over the last few years. Like, we had the preparances that happened earlier this year when they weren't at Kobe Sumbo Hall and blanking on the uh, other Kobe venue's name right now. But Great has a UWF division. Kaido Ishida is someone that is that is known to like have a predilection towards kickboxing. It would not make it would not be unheard of in this promotion for someone to leave and go enter that. Like it's been used as a cover story before, but it wouldn't have been surprising to me if it ended up being that way. And yeah, and the Yamamoro relationship is like it's still like strong enough that when Kaido Ishida won the Brave Gate title. Uh, Yamamura made a tweet. It's like, I can't really tweet him publicly, but, but I want to let him know that I'm proud of him. So, like, it's still a very strong relationship there. And then, yeah, Shima is a one, uh, I think, is the vice president of Great. Yeah. So, that, like I said, most of that story broke on June 16th. And then we found out the next day from uh, a source of a source, basically, someone who was deeply embedded in Dragon Gate, to say the least, uh, that Ashita was staying. He was simply having a knee surgery and that he would be back on the Kobe Sambo Hall show. That's exactly what happened. And and we went forward as soon as we got that information again from a very, uh, yeah. very, very reliable source, I would say, that Kaito Ishida would be staying in the promotion. So he's there. It's great. I won't pay uh, much attention to it going forward. I assume anything he posts on social media until he pops up elsewhere means that it's it's going to be a storyline that he's going to be staying in Dragon Gate. But yeah, I feel like it was at least worth clearing the air about. Right, yeah, and it, it's something that I will say I uh, defend our sources, our sourcing on that. Like, in the moment, the the people that we've reached out to before we had the confirmation that he was returning are people that don't, that have no interest in working us, I would say, or working the uh, Western or international fan base. So it no, wasn't I didn't even, even want to post it, because I don't, I, we don't do news with a Z here, okay? You sat on the Drangate OWE split, until it was for two public, months. really. Yes. Yeah, I mean, for two months. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was like, ah, shit. This seems like it could be something, and I don't really want to deal with it. Uh, but I'm, you know, he's staying. That's what matters. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you have to add on Kaito Ishida before we talk about the best units of all time? Yeah. So the only thing that I say is like, knee, like, just for like the, the thing that was described to us was very minor knee surgery, which to me, I have no understanding about his health records. I'm not a doctor, but as someone who's watched a whole lot of sports in my life, if you have a very short knee operation that you're back within a few weeks, it's usually your knee's been scoped. So that's why I'm wondering what it was. Yeah, no no am, confirmation I, though. That's just yeah, pure I was speculation. Say, I, I don't have any idea either. All we know is that we heard that he had a, a knee operation from someone within Drangate, and then that's what Dave uh, in the Observer mentioned as well this past week. So Kaito Ishida's wrestling on the Kobe Sambo Hall show. He's in an excellent, excellent looking match, and I look forward to seeing that. Absolutely. Support for Open the Voice Gate is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's blow-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with promo code OTVG at Manscaped. In case, this perfect package 3.0 that they've Send us that now. No, we've had it for a while. We've got some time to really like put it through the paces. And I have to say that the thing that gets to me about the perfect package and the and the lawnmower 3.0 is just like the fact that at a certain point, it, it 
it's reliable. You're able to like use it in the shower. You're able to like have the flashlight and it's easy to clean. And it's one of those things that you, you don't necessarily see with like products that are be used for grooming, you know, like they're usually pretty like, okay, it works for a week and then it's done. Or you're using a razor blade and throw it away. This is something that's, that's relatively reliable. The led light on the lawnmower is such a game changer. One of those that when I, when I used it for the first time, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It makes the shave so much easier, so much smoother, so much better, so much more efficient. And I'm a man that craves efficiency in my life. My experience, I've been getting out of the town lately. I've been going out quite a bit. And the Perfect Package 3.0 not only has the lawnmower, like you mentioned, but I can't go anywhere now. I refuse to get the mail in my own apartment without first applying the Crop Preserver, the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Look, I use deodorant on my armpits every day. How could I not use it on my the smelliest part of my body, my balls? Because, hey, man, they did stink before I got this this crop preserver. But my man, uh, things are going pretty well for me right now. And I have the boys at Manscaped to thank. That's why I would recommend getting the perfect package 3.0 kit, manscaped.com with your promo code OTVG. When you're shaving your junk, I want you thinking of me. I want you thinking of Mike Spears, and I want you to have a good time this summer. That's right. So have a good time. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code OTVG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code OTVG. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tool for the job with Manscaped. My confidence has been unlocked, Mike. I'm feeling real good right now. Case, I, I was going to say this during the read, but I'll let you know that in the Discord, there are a few things that are as popular as the case low dating update that you've been giving in these ad reads. And the fact that you're hot to trot and, you know, man of the town, you know, everyone appreciates these updates. You know, everyone's happy for you. And it's only through Manscaped that you, you've unlocked the right tools for the job. Look, I don't totally understand what Discord is still. I refuse to use that app. I cuz it just I am at the as much communication as I can handle with the world right now. I will say I loved the interaction on the at Open the Voice Gate account last week, at Open Voice Gate on Twitter, because when we weren't talking about Kaito Ushida, a pillar of the Young Corps of Dragon Gate, possibly leaving the promotion, it was various people tweeting at us that they enjoyed my dating stories or tweeting at us their favorite Elliot Smith album. And I really liked the chaotic <laughs> mentions that we had going on last week. It was it was a tremendous time. Uh, I, I will say I don't I don't know if I have any uh, grandiose updates for this week other than the fact that uh, the, the person that I've been seeing for the past two weeks, we're going to make it a third week. We're going to keep on going and we're going to see how it goes. And I'm a pretty happy camper right now. That is your case low update brought to you by Manscaped. Mike, let's let's do something <laughs> that we've never really done this on the show. I was talking to you about this before it went on the air. I don't feel like I've ever seen anybody write about this. I don't feel like I've seen any grand discussions on this in the past. Now, of course, if anybody was going to be if anybody was going to write about it, it would be you or I, and we haven't done it. But we had a dead week here, no shows to review. We previewed the Kobe Samba Hall show coming up this weekend. We had some time. We thought, well. We could watch some Saudi Oshino matches. We've been doing that. It's been a blast. We're going to make sure to do a few more of those before Kobe World. But I thought, you know what? Let's do something uh, not necessarily outside the box. It's not the most original idea, but it's an idea specifically to Drangate that no one has touched. 
and Mike and I are going to run down what we think are the best 10 units in Dragon Gate history. We have, uh, we're going to rank these by way of, you know, overall match quality, their aesthetic, and their influence on the promotion. Or I guess if Mike wants to go crazy and say, you know, just to the rest of the wrestling world. But we're going to do this. This sounds like a fun idea. And I would love to know what your number 10 is. All right. So the way that I've done this is that I do have my top 10. And then afterwards, I'll bring down my almost, you know, my honorable mentions just missed the cut. My number 10, uh, as is traditional with these kind of things, you go for vanity thing for number 10. And this is one that I really believe it had such an important position in the promotion because because of this unit, one person really kind of found themselves and then became the wrestler that they are today. And that's the Zawajuku. Interesting. Not a unit that I ranked. Did not, not think even, so. Yeah, not even one that I particularly thought about. So uh, please, your your thoughts on Tozawa Juku. So Tozawa Juku, the, the, the case for Tozawa Juku, and there's no case you could ever make for it to be above a vanity pick, to be clear. It's a unit that only really had tag team and triangle gate success, and most of that happened without their nominal leader, Akira Tozawa. Uh, the thing that got me was, and this is like just like an emotional, personal thing. Like when I really got into the remote, the promotion, this was a unit that was drawn to me because it was very just out there and weird. So for those who don't know, Tozawa Juku was a unit formed by Akira Tozawa who refused joining Final M2K. He was presented a Sukiyan from his uh, saint, his senior Kenichi Urai and said, no, I have my own plans. I must gain polish. And he created Tozawa Juku, which was a stable that was based off of the cram school that is very prevalent in east asia and everyone dressed up like they were a high schooler they had people who had certain positions on it there was one guy koji shishido who sadly retired who was like well known as becoming like one of the most popular guys in the promotion he was like that their solemn flag bearer uh there was katsuo yukiono as a part of it uh the the main workhorses of the unit of course were kenichi Orai and taku awasa uh, Anthony W. Mori was a part of it at one time as well and was a Triangle Gate champion with them. I believe it, no, no, it was Shinobu who was the Triangle Gate champion as an assistant. That's right, Triple Six is Shinobu. And then also known as the final unit in Dragon Gate for one El Generico. And they had a climax in one of the better Triangle Gate matches, I would say, of all time, them versus Zetsarens, where it was unit versus Triangle Gate match where Kirtozawa lost all the weight from the metallic the, the metabolic brothers because Shima liked hazing and he was really focused on it and he had like this great feud between Tozawa Juku and Zetarans leading up to this uh big triangle gate match where like he was able to pull back in Anthony W. Mori to team with him one time because Anthony W. Mori is like, I don't need this anymore. I'm Anthony W. Mori, I'm the elegant prince. There's no reason for me to be here. But and it it finalized at Gate of Destiny in 2008 and this incredible match, one of the first true great matches in Kirtozawa's career. And then afterwards, they did a full-on graduation ceremony where Kirtozawa is bawling in the ring. It's making everyone else cry because he kind of like took like the first step out of, you know, Kirtozawa being perennially in the doghouse with this, with this match and with this unit. And, you know, if it wasn't for this unit, he probably would have washed out. And, I mean, there were other people in that unit that washed out pretty soon after as well. 
Yeah, a career-saving unit, to say the least. I think that's a a very solid number 10 pick. Again, not one that I thought of, but once you lay out the reasoning behind it, given your attachment to Tozawa in particular, makes sense, makes total sense. I was going to mention that El Generico was a member of the unit, had you not. That led me to El Generico's cage match, and that led me to something that I don't think I've ever seen before, which is El Generico's brief 2009 Dragon Gate Tour, and specifically October 10th, 2009. This is from Sambo Hall. BB Hulk, Yoshino, Doi, and Pac against Tozawa, Shingo, Yamato, and El Generico. Have you seen this match? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was clipped, mostly clipped. But yeah, El Generico kind of went to Kamikaze. As the, the, there was a big thing back then, and it's something worth getting into now because we'll have other units we talk about that have this. The, the idea of an assistant, which was something that for Gaijin doing tours and for uh, indie workers like Shinobu. So he was kind of an assistant for Kamikaze very briefly there. It was just like that one tour, and that was it for him, because by that time afterwards, he went over to DDT, right? Yeah, yeah. He worked eight matches on this tour and then did the European uh, Invasion tour with Drangate as well. So the the show in Spain and then the show for WXW, I guess with WXW in Germany. And then, yeah, from there, he ends up in DDT in 2011, and begins that career there. I that's I did not realize he worked a 2009 tour. I would love to know, I guess, just that alternate timeline where Generico works for Drangit USA uh, earlier than he did because he shows up in 2012. But by that point, he's already in DDT. There's no way of him doing Japanese tours for Drangate because he's you know a, a loyalist to DDT at that point. But I, God, I would have loved to see him on those first few Drangit USA shows, and I did not realize that he worked uh, in Drangit as late as he did. This is also the time I will mention what I think is one of the most important what ifs in the last fifteen years of wrestling history: the fact that Generico wanted to book the Young Bucks in DDT, but DDT only had money for one Jackson brother to fly over, and the wrestling world as we know it would look drastically different if the Young Bucks ended up in DDT. And I think about that, Mike, constantly. Yeah, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about a unit, at least on my list, and I think they're on yours too, that the Young Bucks were assistants for. So it's very interesting the ways that the Young Bucks' uh, time in Japan could have drastically changed. And, you know, if they were able to get that second plane ticket, who knows what the wrestling world would look like. like that's like a real sliding doors moment. Like, uh, of everything we talk about today, that is like the truest sliding doors moment I can think of. Oh, God, it's it's... Yeah, it's a real it's something I really do think about a lot because it really it changes everything. And I, I would have, you know, look, I have my issues with DDT, but 2012, 2013 DDT and 2012, 2013 Young Bucks, I would have liked to have seen what that looked like. As for me, Mike, speaking of Akira Tozawa, my number 10 unit in the history of the Dragon System, I'm awarding it to Monster Express. Is this a unit that you have in your top 10? I have them at seven. All righty, we'll hold off on our Monster Express discussion then. All right, so then I guess moving up, my number nine, and I, I had these two linked as this, but I'm putting this one at nine and the other one at eight is Junction 3. Junction 3 just missed the cut for me just outside of my top 10, so once again, you have the floor to talk about Junction 3. I mean, you can't talk about this like unit without like also talking about Blood Warriors, but I'm just going to focus on Junction 3. Uh, just like... When they executed the Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors year-long feud, the way that they kind of filled out the sides 
and the and the the chemistry that kind of developed between members of that unit is just so special. I mean, that's how Yokosuka Chome came about. The original Jimmy's tag team of Kagatora and Susumu came about through this, and then you had like this was like a big moment for like both Pack and Rich Swan stepping forward as well. It was a very interesting unit because very visibly both Yamato and uh, Masato Yoshino they were a part of Junction Three and they were like important members of it, but they definitely were not. The, the, they were kind of backburnered at this time. And, and I mean, the biggest thing about Junction 3 is the fact that it was one of Misaki Mochizuki's Dreamgate Tower Reigns, one of the best Tower Reigns of all time. And it's one of those things that I feel like whenever they've tried to do like these huge wars, it will always be compared to Junction 3 and Blood Wars, just because like the, the, this wasn't a thing where in retrospect, we could look at 2019 and then, or sorry, 2020, and we could look at it in a way that it's like, it was a three-way war, but it kind of was all about R.E.D. in a way. This one, like, both sides were very equitable. They both, like, went back and forth. I mean, like, Gamma felt like switched sides, like, three times during this unit, as did Cyber Kong. And just was like this. I had, had a great theme song. Had a, uh, had a lot of people wearing green tights. And, you know, it's funny thinking about Shingo Takagi wearing, the, like, the green trim on his, his singlet back then. And, you know, it just was like a strong face unit and it's one of the ones that as i said whenever we're going to be comparing blood warrior or future like all-out wars it's going to be compared to blood warriors in junction 3 because of how successful that was as a feud i think that's a, a tremendous point when i think junction 3 i think about the mochizuki dreamgate run which might be the best dreamgate run in the history of the promotion i think about Pac and dragon kid their work both in dragon and in dragon usa Susumi Yokosuka had a great year that year. Like you mentioned, Rich Swan was a ton of fun. Shingo, once he got healthy, because he missed the first, you know, part of that year, yeah. I guess really sort of the tail end of Kamikaze, and then was back and healthy by the time Junction 3 formed, but didn't didn't seem like he was at 100% for most of that year when he wasn't wrestling Tozawa, but what Shingo did was a ton of fun. And then you hit the nail on the head. This is something that we talked about in the Drangate USA Rewind and Rewatch series, where Yoshino and Yamato, who at this point both are former Dreamgate champions, both are guys that are looked at in the upper echelon of people within the promotion. I don't have, you know, that one Masada Yoshino Junction 3 match that I love. The one moment that Yamato has is the cage match from that year, which I think is one of the two or three best cage matches they've ever done. And of course, he ends up getting his head shaved, which leads to an awkward year and a half for Yamato where you realize, oh my God, this man's charisma comes from his hair, which is a <laughs> problem that I, I I don't know of any other wrestler that's ever battled that to such an extreme degree. But yeah, a fascinating unit and one that would certainly be in my top 15, but just to not make my top 10. Yeah, and it's interesting, you, you we're talking about Yamato here. He was backburnered as Open the Freedom Gate champion. They had him <laughs> get his head shaved as Open the Freedom Gate champion. Oh, Dragon USA. I'm so happy we aren't watching a Dragon USA show every single week uh, anymore. <laughs> just good for my mental health. Uh, Th those hours in our life collectively are, are all back. Yeah. Which at first would be like, oh, it's two hours plus, you know, I'll do an it's hour, not. hour and a half of notes. And then by the end, it's like, okay, this is a three and a half hour show. And it's going to take me two hours to do notes because I have to get all of these cancellations and, and plane issues and visa issues taken care of as well. Glad we did it. Love the series even more happy that it's over. Uh, I will say, I mean, I, I'm so happy that 
we at least are going to have some differences. I was kind of afraid we were going to list the same 10 units that it was going to make for a very boring audio, but we've already got two differences. I'm curious if you have number nine on my list. We just talked about Masaki Mochizuki. Well, this is the unit that made him number nine on my list is M2K. Uh, I have M2K very high up on my list. All right. So. Yeah, I, I thought you might. So so once again, look, I'm going to pass the <laughs> baton on to you. You're number eight. All right. Uh, Blood Warriors. Like I, I originally had them tied as eight because you can't really consider one above the other. But I think I put I gave Blood Warriors the edge because it had a better theme song. Frankly, Dress for Excellence <laughs> Pyramid is still one of the best unit themes they've ever had in this promotion. And yeah, I mean, this is and also I'll say like this unit gets a little bit more of an edge because it, I talked about Kirtozawa just briefly there. This was the unit that propelled Akira Tozawa coming back from America. This this was the unit that had BB Hulk's big heel turn, which, I mean, that still is, like, one of those things that whenever, like, a, if there's something I'm like, I want to watch some Dragon Gate, there's nothing new for me to watch. Watching the angle and the match that came out of, like, the formation of Junction 3, the turn, the uh, BB Hulk turn, and then that match happened after as Shingo Takagi's bleeding profusely in the ring is amazing uh you also had spike mohicans one of the best tag teams of all time in dragon gate there and also i mean this is a unit that propelled ricochet like say what ricochet is in 2020 2021 like put that all aside there's no way that ricochet is in wwe without blood warriors there's no way that he's that he even like the sniffs anything other than you know doing indie stuff and being like the guy who has like the sick double moon salt if it wasn't for the fact that Shima saw a video of him and was like, I want to see him at Dragon Gate USA. He saw him at Dragon Gate USA, booked him on a flight immediately. And the rest of the unit, I mean, great color scheme. I mean, launched T-Hawk, launched a lot of people in this. And I think that's why it normally gets my edge here. Well, it's interesting. You said you can't separate Junction 3 and Blood Warriors. I did not have that issue. Like I said, Junction 3, not in my top 10. Blood Warriors... Finished very well for me, so we'll circle back to that conversation Sorry, as well. No, 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 please. That was that was tremendous. That was uh, exactly what you should have done there, Mike. Uh, I believe this puts us at my number eight. Is that correct? Yes. My number eight. And it's a unit that, I, quite frankly, it wouldn't shock me if it's your number one. Don't tell me if it is. I'm assuming you have them higher, though. We are talking about the unit of Mad Blanky. Yes, I have them higher. All righty. All right. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. We're going to get to some interesting conversations later on. Uh, so I guess it's back to me, number seven, Monster Express, in case I know you had you had them on your list, so take it away here. Yeah, I have Monster Express at number 10. This is a unit that was strangely comforting, albeit unspectacular at times. I think the idea of Monster Express was perhaps more entertaining than the execution of Monster Express because once you get into 2016 and their final months as a unit where you had T-Hawk and you had Shimizu, which was a tag team that I liked, but it was a long ways away from the core of Akira Tozawa, Shingo Takagi, Masaru Yoshino, and I think Ricochet and Uha Nation really rounded that unit into form. But when you think about Monster Express, I know exactly what the gear was. I know what their keynote colors were. The aesthetic wasn't necessarily over the top, but having things like Akira Tozawa being the stamina monster, Masaru Yoshino being the speed star, and even the best friends trio of Ricochet, Uha, and Tozawa, something that still lingers on to this day in some far-off adjacent WWE canon, I think that's very relevant. 
This is a unit that had multiple Dreamgate champions, both Yoshino and Ricochet, who oddly enough won the belt from Yoshino. And, you know, match quality through the roof around this time period. We talked with Rich Krejci a few weeks ago about the Amigos tag, Yoshino and Sachihoko Boy versus the Jimmies. This is the best run of Tozawa's career, in my opinion. The KZ Bravegate match. All of the stuff he did with Ata and King of Gate in 2016, the Tozawa and Shingo versus T-Hawk and Ata tag feud, which is one of those things, I think, just because of how hard that era of Dragon Gate has become to find and watch in any sort of accessible way. That is a feud that really gets lost due to time and just the lack of archives, but that stuff was so excellent. We had a three-month stretch there where T-Hawk and Ata who, you know, at times had credibility issues, both as a tag team and as singles wrestlers, where T-Hawk and Ata came across as stone-cold killers. They were submitting Tozawa in particular left and right. And because of that, I think we ended up with, you know, at Kobe World 2014, one of the great Twin Gate matches of all time, T-Hawk and Ata versus Tozawa and Shingo. You could, you know, run through a monster express compilation DVD and you could throw all your four star matches, all your four and a quarter star matches and it would be an insane DVD. And then you think, Oh my God, we still have all this high end stuff that Yoshino did and that Ricochet did and that Shingo did and that Tozawa did. So it's really an impressive unit full of great memories, memorable moments, great matches. Yeah. And I guess the only thing I would add is the way that I kind of did my list. Cause I, I, I like doing like tiers and like doing like lines in my lists there's a line that I have basically between five and six that everything above five at one through five are just units that I feel like had no real weaknesses. Whereas like monster express ended with the heel turn of Shingo Takagi. He didn't have like the zombie rain. Like remember, remember like that really awkward triangle gate rain that was Yoshino T-Hawk and Tozawa that like they never defended the belts, but they were still I, triangle gate champions. I, I have it in my notes: a legendarily solid triangle gate team with Yoshido, Tiok, and Tozawa. To this day, it's the second longest triangle gate run in history. They held the belts for almost a year, and they have like five defenses. It was right. They, they went. I think from. I, I don't think they defended the belts. If I have this right. I think they defended them in March of 2016 and then didn't defend them until world of 2016. There was like a four month gap where all of a sudden the triangle gate belts were just irrelevant in this promotion. Yeah. And it's something that like, that kind of was the first real step back for the triangle gate division. I would say in a way that like, because like you have two of the big six as your team, as your team team, they should be kind of predominant, like in the belt shouldn't matter a whole lot was not necessarily the case with this because it really felt like that there was a zombie team. And I mean, the unit was a zombie unit. I mean, that Tozawa was leaving and they did not yet like kill off the unit, but everyone knew that Mad that, that Monster Express was going to end. And they added in Peter Costa. Peter Costa got injured. So Peter Costa joined the unit, but never really wrestled matches as a part of Monster Express towards the end. And then they kind of ingloriously got uh, ended before Tozawa's farewell at Gate Destiny 2016. Yeah, but still, top 10 for me, my number 10, and you're number 7, just a unit that I, I think the world of, and that there are, there are days where I greatly miss their presence on these shows. Absolutely. So it's time for your number 7. My number 7. One, again, I'm not sure if you had these guys in your top 10. I'm sure it's a unit that you respect, that you admire, but I'm not sure if it was top 10 worthy for you. For me, it is my number 7. And it is the Italian Connection. 
So, Case, they are my number six, so let's just talk about it here. Wow. All right. Did not know if you were going to be as high on the Italian connection as me. Uh, I'll say some brief thoughts here before I pass it on to you. To me, the Italian connection is the full embodiment of the dragon system. It's young, hot men doing tricked-out moves with a, a totally different feel, aura, and vibe than anything else that was going on in wrestling at the time or still nothing has felt like them before during or after case low has called uh gm yagi a hottie i'm gonna write this down in the notes it's 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 official it's on tape i don't mind a bald man i'm not saying yagi could get it but if you know if he was charming you know crazy things charming Uh, yeah honestly he seemed like a delightful man i'm sure i i i would love to know uh what what yagi's like in social scenes is this man married we don't know i i would like to have that information yeah like the the reason why i have it so high is because like as you said like this is this encapsulates the dragon system you can't talk about the torimon 2000 project without like Tari Montatazzi's projects is the story of the members of the Italian Connection, really. I mean, you have the idea that Milano Collection AT, and it's something that with how there's more interest in to Japanese wrestling, which is awesome. I just, it's just hard to impart like how special Milano was. And he was at the forefront here. Masato Yoshino, who was like this, was like the shadow leader of the unit because he was more protected, like as sexy Tarzan. I really enjoyed Brother Yoshini. Like, it's one of those things that he, at that time, which is, like, so different. And then, I mean, it launched, like, Kandati, uh, which is a Kandati Suji, who is Suji Kondo with it. It's just one of those things. Like, it's a sad thing that the way it tailed off towards the end. That's why, I, that's why it's six, the not top five for me, because of how it was. And it's, like, pretty much into uh, Dragon Gate when it was just... Uh, Milano, uh, Yoshino, and Anthony W. Mori, but like th- you can't tell the story of Toriyama 2000 Project without talking about the Italian connection. So it's interesting that you say they kind of tailored off towards the end, and I think just in terms of the strength of that initial unit compared to how it ended, losing Shuji Kondo, losing Brother Yashi to Agon Isu, the heel unit at the time. I think that's a fair assessment. The thing that I find to be so beautiful about the Italian connection is they were obviously the highlight of T2P. I mean, the story of T2P is Milano Collection AT, is the Italian connection, is their match with Crazy Max at the 2002 Absolute Mente show. That is T2P. In 2003, when they're fully integrated into Drangate, I really feel like that is a year where Milano shines and Yoshino shines. Yoshino having the big matches with Kness that year. Uh, one of his best matches ever at Kobe World 2003 against Kness. But 2003 is a time where you have these incredibly high-end matches, whether it's the four-team uh, 12-man tag at the August 30th, 2003 Cork and Hall show. You obviously have El Numero Uno that was a big hit that year. But 2003 is not a consistent year for the promotion. It's a year largely dominated by Magnum Tokyo bullshit and a year where Ultimo was very clearly present in a lot of what was going on and a lot of my fears and reservations about Ultimo returning to the company in 2019 were a direct result of what we saw in 2003 this time that was sort of known as the social dance era where there was such a greater emphasis put on storylines and on wacky gimmicks compared to in-ring matches 
obviously mulatto collection at a fake italian supermodel it is an outlandish gimmick but i thought through that period of the promotion the italian connection was so strong and they once again put torimon on their back right after putting t2p on their back they put torimon on their back and led them through that very challenging year and then if you look at the first five or six months of Drangate, really until Milano leaves, and this is at this point the dying days, this is Milano, Mori, and Yoshino pretty much, I think they're the highlight of early Drangate shows because it's, I, I don't know how you feel, Mike, it, does the latter half of 2004, those first four months of Drangate, do you have any fond memories of like good shit that happened during that time period? No, because they were... There was a lot of issues, and they're working them their way out in a way. Very like, much so. It it, it was to the, like I feel like in ideal circumstances, Dragon Gate would have launched in two thousand five. They would have taken the six months off, and they would have launched starting the new year, kind of doing like how the Torimon landing was in January of, of nineteen ninety nine. You know, but uh, uh it, it, it's interesting because like it's hard to impart like how important an Italian connection is when you talk about like the core fabric of the Dragon System. I mean. If I'm right, and I'm pulling this up right now, so okay. So if you remember this off track, you could correct me. I believe they are the first ever Triangle Gate champions. So, so this is what I was going to mention was the only real highlight of that era of the promotion. Again, your August of 2004 through December of 2004, because things drastically changed what we hit once we hit the first month of 2005. And trust me, we will be talking about that, but. The one thing that Drangate really had going for them at the time was the uh, Rey de Parajas Triangle Gate Tournament, which ended up crowning the first champions, which were the Italian connection, like you said, Mori, Milano, and Yoshino. And what we have on tape from those guys at that point was just a super fun run. They win the belts in November. They defend them uh, in a great pay-per-view match uh, against Aganisu, Kondo, Sugawara, and Yashi at the end of 2004. And then they make a defense in early 2005. I don't think that made tape. That doesn't sound familiar. No. Kness, Doi, and Susumu. Yeah, I have not. That that sounds that sounds excellent, but I have not seen that. Uh, but they really carry what the early, early infant stages of Drangate on their back. So you have three distinct eras where you can directly point to Italian Connection being the best thing in the promotion. And I think that's very noteworthy. Absolutely. So that was my number six. That was your number seven. So what was your number six? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network my number six and this is where we get to the the interesting point this is a unit that i thought maybe you would have for sure but now i'm starting to doubt myself the jimmies are my number six unit. Is this a unit that you had in your top 10? Yes. Wow. Okay. We've, well, now, we've not now gotten I'm to them yet. very curious to see where we differ here. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. Mike Spears, you have the floor for your number five. My number five, and what I think is the best heel unit of the Dragon Gate era, is Mad Blanky. Let's talk about Mad Blanky. For me, like I said, they finished at number eight for me. I would like to hear your thoughts first because you're a little higher on them than me, and then I can sort of detract from there. I think that it took a while for Mad Blanky to really get going. I mean, sadly, the Kiritazawa era of Mad Blanky never took off. It wasn't, but the thing is interesting is like, it's such a short time period when you think about Mad Blanky and how long Mad Blanky lasted afterwards after he got expelled and Yamato and Naruki Doi took over. And it just is everything that we'll, we'll get into other... There is one... Well, there's two other heel units on my list, but they're Torimon era. But you you look at this, you look at, like, prime Mad Blanky. You look at, like, what they did, and you look at, like, Yamato. He ascended. He completely revitalized his career with this. Ruki Doi, by the end of Mad Blanky, was, the mo- was one of the most popular people in the promotion as a heel. And you had just solid stuff up there. Cyber Kong before he got on Massus was easily the most palatable Cyber Kong in at least five years at that point, and just had a a lot of really strong uh, unit disbands matches with Mad Blanky, ultimately ending with their own disbandment against Jimmy's. So my knock on Mad Blanky is kind of what you alluded to. I would go as far to say I'm just not a fan of the Akira Tozawa led version of this unit, which. 
there's no disrespect to Tozawa. He did his part, although I will say, I think in terms of the big matches he had in his career, the two Shima matches, one at, at World 2012, one at Dead or Alive 2013, I think those are two of the weaker, big Tozawa singles matches that there have been. Those two just, you know, uh, for reasons we've talked about on the show, never exactly had perfect chemistry with one another. But 2012, you also have the Cyber Kong versus Shima match that goes under the Mad Blanky watch. We talked about this on one of the Dragon USA episodes when we were we were covering what was going on in Japan. Once you hit the late summer and early fall of 2012, it is peak Mondai Ryu being a thing where this man is just all over these cards in prominent positions. And it is a little off-putting. It, it's, it's a little bizarre to think about uh, just how weird that unit was really until Tozawa got kicked out and Yamato gets put in the unit. Now, once Yamato gets put in, uh, boy, did they ever hit the ground running. I mean, that was just the perfect vibe. Yamato, Doi at one point, Hulk at one point, Cyber Kong throughout the entire thing. And Kong has ups and downs in that unit, but his ups are noticeably high. Uh, they have to be a top 10 unit for me. Plus you have, and this is something that I, I, I don't know if you mentioned around, if you did, I apologize, but towards the dying days of Matt Blanky, the stuff that I love, Shima, Gamma, Fuji joining by way of Doi Darts, that was such a fun little wrinkle as we hit year three of Matt Blanky's existence. Yeah, that's the thing that perfectly was encapsulated by, oh, it's uh, Pancho Minaga and his crazy uncle. Yeah, no, it was it was absolutely that's right. The punch push. Oh my god, I forgot about punch. When punch debuted and then he beat Shima in a singles match, and that lives in history that Punch Tabanaga beat Shima not clean, but with less interference than you would think. That is insane to think about. And then, like you mentioned, they were involved in a handful of unit disbands matches that were all tremendous. I just recently rewatched that Jimmy's Mad Blanky Millennials three-way unit disbands match where the millennials oh, it's lose. Great. Oh my God, that match is nuts. That is a match that really got lost uh, uh, just to time. And also the Matt Blanky Jimmy's match that I think was like a month later where the Jimmy's were disbanded or I'm sorry, where Matt Blanky was disbanded. There was just a lot going on in the promotion at that point. And that's a match that really has not uh, uh, traveled well. That's a match that was really hard for me to find. Uh, I finally found it online somewhere, and I don't even remember where it was now. But I, I saw that. I was like, "Oh my god, I have to go watch that because I haven't seen that since it happened." And it is, oh my god, it's so good. I, I, the millennials. I will tell you now, not in my top ten. They would, they would be an honorable mention though. Uh, and and like you said, you know, their final night as a unit, the disbands match with Kness turning on Matt Blanky and then joining the Jimmies. What a perfect way for them to go out. What a satisfying conclusion to one of the best units of all time. Yeah, like the zombie veterans were so much fun. Gosh, like especially because you had Osaka Zenroka at that time. Kness, who was like doing bodybuilding, who so was in insane shape. And that was like the last big Kness run going into Jimmy Kness, JKS. And it just was like a... It was a blast, and it's one of those heel units that I, I feel like, because I feel like the, that there are a couple of units that we kind of defer on. I think that Matt Blanky, at least for everything post-2004, is the measuring block for all the heel units. I think that's a very, well, I don't know. I've got some heel units coming up on my list. I was going to say this is a very fair assessment, but I, I, I'm going to pull back on that. So we just did, uh, Matt Blanky was your number six, right? Matt Blanky was my number eight. My number six was the Jimmies. 
Okay, so number five was my Mad Blanky. So number That's five right. for you is... The Blood Warriors, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, the only thing I will add on the Blood Warriors is, is one, they have a super memorable debut and a super memorable conclusion, because we'll just count uh, the, the February match where Junction 3 is disbanded. We'll also count that as the Blood Warriors disbandment. I would rather not think about Shima... Takamichinoku and Shinshiro Takagi defeating Tozawa, Hulk, and Cybercog in what was kind of the first Mad Blanky slash last Blood Warriors match. I just like to pretend that show never happened. Uh, so we'll count that as uh, a life of January 2011 through February of 2012. I think a lot of people would point to Final Gate 2011 where Blood Warriors ends the year with all the titles, Shima winning the Dream Gate, Tozawa and Hulk winning the Twin Gate, Ricochet having the Brave Gate belt, and Keizy Tanazaki and Doi holding the Triangle Gate belts. I think most people would point to that as their peak, but even though it was uh, often met with failure, I look at Kobe World 2011 with Hulk, BB Hulk in the main event challenging Mochizuki, Shima and Ricochet versus Pac and Dragon Kid for the Twin Gate belts where Shima and Ricochet win in what I think is one of the best tag team matches of all time. You had Tozawa beating Shingo, and then you had that really fun uh, Yoshihiro Takayama match where, again, Blood Warriors lost that match. But I, I think Kobe World 2011 really encapsulates what this unit was and shows a lot of different guys at the height of their powers during this run. So you not only have this unit that, again, you know, your memorable matches, uh, a crazy debut, a fitting conclusion. You also have a few different shows, entire shows that really put this unit in a good light. And I, I think that's a very interesting thing that they have going for them. So they were my number five. Yeah. The, the, the only other thing I'll add is like, not only did they have like the debut, they also had the turn where all the, all the metal warriors were unmasked. And then it was Shima as the golden warrior and everyone doing like the giant human pit pyramid. And it had Brody Lee in there for that. Like, it's just one of those things that like this feud, like, I can't, it, it's going to be a while before it's up on the network, but as soon as it's like up on the network in full, I'm going to like six years from now, just sit down and rewatch all of it again. Cause it's, it, it holds up, it holds up and blood warriors definitely deserves that recognition. Yeah, no, just, uh, I, you know, I, I think most American fans at this point really look back with fond memories of obviously what was going on 2014, 2015, 2016, but your your older fans out there, I, I still think they point to 2011 as like, damn, we really had it good then. And it's hard to believe, Mike, it's been 10 years since Blood Warriors versus Junction 3. That just doesn't, it, it doesn't seem possible given the fact that Masaki Mochizuki is still wrestling at the level he is. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think he's going to wrestle, you know, until the heat death of the universe at this point, you know? Like, it's just, no one's going to stop Masaki Mochizuki, you know, until he decides he's done, you know? Yeah, only Masaki Mochizuki will stop Masaki Mochizuki. Exactly, exactly. So it's back to me, and now we are in the top four. And my top, f my fourth one, it's the one that started at all case. It is Crazy Max, the first unit in the Dragon System, formed in 1997. So right as they were doing shows in Michinoku Pro, and they were already teaming before that in Mexico. And did you have Crazy Max on your list? I have Crazy Max just a tad bit higher. Okay. So we'll talk we'll so, talk about that in a minute. Okay. Sounds good. So you're number four. My number four, uh, when I made my initial list, I will admit this was a unit that did not finish in my top ten. 
And then I thought about it, and I said, well, no, they're more like a 9 or a 10. And then I looked at who was ahead of them, and I thought, no, they're better than all of these units. And they bounced all the way to fourth place, and that is the original incarnation of World 1. All right, so your timing with this is great. World 1's my number 3 unit. So we're just rolling in together. Let's talk some World 1. Ah, man, I have... Okay, now I have no idea who you did not rank. That is fascinating. Uh... (laughs) Look, World 1, to me, best pure babyface unit Dragon ever had. When I think about the peak of BB Hulk's career, when I think about the peak of Speed Muscle, Doi and Yoshino as a team, I think about World 1. I think about the foundation starts that MC, KZ, Kotoka, and Pac had on this unit. I, there's something so comforting. And again, I, I've talked at length about how much I love the current house style. I love all these young guys on the roster. But there's something about being able to turn on a Dragon Gate show from 2008, 2009, parts of 2010, and being able to watch a World 1 six-man. And I just think, my God, I am in love with this unit. This is everything that I want out of pro wrestling. Yeah, and like we, we've talked about this recently with like Rich. Like This is like a unit that, for a certain time frame, like we talked about 2011, but if you were people who are like following like fresh off of ring of honor, like going into dragon gate USA world one was the super face unit. And it really was. And I still think to this day, the best super face unit that dragon gate ever had. And you like, you look at people that were members of world one. And it's just like, you have Doi Yoshi, of course, up top, but then you have BB Hulk and their formation and all there. Naoki Tanizaki coming back into the fold. And you look at the people whose careers arguably were launched by this MC KZ, better known as KZ pack. Katoka, and then you have Aneska joining towards the end, and then you also have Homicide, who was a member of World War. Damn, BB2 at the Homicide thing. Also, Naoki Tanazaki, who arguably had his best singles match at this point against Kagatora, and at that point, Naoki Tanazaki was World 1 affiliated. There's just something about this time period where, again, I feel like, and I think the same could be said with a lot of what was going on with Team Drangate and Team Toriumon last year, where you could just turn on any show and go, well, the here, you know, here's a three and a half star multi-man match, here's a three and three quarter star multi-man match, and your main event tops out around four stars. And I really feel like for the three or four years that we had World One in existence, you could put on any random multi-man tag and go, boom, here we go. This is immediately entertaining. I love all these guys involved. And that's not to mention the fact that BB Hulk, you know, was in the the thick of it with Shingo Takagi at this time period. And this was a time where Hulk was representing World One. And that's the most memorable thing he's done in his entire career. Right, yeah. And you have, like, BB Hulk, first Freedom Gate champion. You have the incredible Brave Gate runs that both Naoki Tanizaki and Pac had. Only one Twin Gate run for Speed Muscle there. But it's just one of those things, you know, you look at it, like, up and down. And it's just one of those, like, it's just one of those units that, like, w- like when you get to the top three for me, like, the this is Dragon System. And I feel like that it starts with... Like if you want to like go get start talking about like important units in Dragon System, and when you get my top three, here's your Superface unit. It is World One. And you know we joked about Homicide earlier because who could forget that Homicide run in Dragon Gate USA? But a unit that was really, really, really solid in Dragon Gate USA. You obviously have the Speed Muscle versus Shingo and Dragon Kid match from the third show. 
And then you've got that Yoshino Pac team that was a ton of fun, the first United Gate champions, and they ran through Doi and Ricochet, that legendary match in Philadelphia, Shima and Dragon Kid in New York City, Shima and Doi in Atlanta, and then Tozawa and Yamato later on in Massachusetts defending that title. And then they would morph into Junction 3 there, and Yoshino and Pac would lose the belts. But that world that World 1 run specifically got over and drank at USA, really some high points of that promotion as well. And it should go, we should not forget the fact that we talked about assistants earlier. Two of the assistants in World 1 were Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson. They were assistants as the Young Bucks. Case, do you remember who the third international assistant was? Hmm, okay. No, I don't. Uh, but no, I, I actually, I, well, is it Mark Haskins? That's right, Mark yeah, Haskins. Okay, there we go. I, see, I would have gotten Haskins before I got the Bucks. I completely forgot they were at all affiliated with World One. It was very loosely like the Bucks were mainly out there, like during the main events on at ringside. That's usually what the assistants really were there for. Like they would team with them on the cards occasionally, but really they were seconding them for the most part. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. I really wish we would have gotten more Bucks and Drangate, but I digress. All right, Taz, what's your number three? <laughs> thank you for calling me taz that's very I, I take that as an immense compliment now my number three third best dragon system unit of all time a unit that really changed everything as far as i'm concerned that would be blood generation okay blood generation was a oh, was not on my list they were number 11 wow okay well i, I okay let me let me talk about blood generation for a second mike spears thank you for coming to my Please ted do. talk uh january 14th 2005 is one of my favorite drangate shows of all time and it will be until either the promotion folds or i die and given my stress levels and eating habits i will die before this promotion goes under so any day now january 14th 2005 show begins uh the classic black mat brought back into the fold uh here still using the black drangate canvas which was so rarely seen after this and you have a show that is headlined at this point by Milano versus Rio Saito and what's going to be this, you know, four year conclusion of everything they had been doing since the T2P days. And instead, what you get is this opening match, Dragon Kid and Magnum Tokyo versus Masaki Mochizuki and Naruki Doi. And it ends in a no contest because Doi turns on Mochizuki and then begins to wreck shit. And Shima and Don Fuji and Shingo are with him. They take out Dragon Kid and they take out Magnum Tokyo. And all of a sudden, Blood Generation is here. And the tone of this show throughout everything else, and this is not a loaded show. The next match was Daniel Mishima and Michael Iwasa against Kenichiro Rai in a handicap match. And then after that, it was Akira Hokuto versus Starkry Chikawa. There wasn't a ton to sink your teeth into on this card. But Blood Generation really almost put this sense of danger into the air like what is going to happen next because it was shima it was fuji it was shingo and now it was naruki doi and they they were uh, obsessed with working out they loved fitness they loved their hair they loved their bodies and they had a rule at this point no masked wrestlers which is a really fun thing for a heel unit to have where they said no masked wrestlers are allowed in this unit which made super shisa an immediate target for these guys because Shisa was their boy in Waka Waka Fuji land. Like they were cool up until everybody decided to turn heel and blood generation, then turned this promotion on its head. I think the first six months of blood generation 
is probably as good as it gets for any unit ever. You have multi-man matches, you have Shima and Saito, which is like a year-long feud in Dragon Gate that not a lot of people talk about, but they spent 2005 giving Ryo Saito big, notable televised TV wins over Shima, and it, it worked to some extent, because by the end of the year, Saito feels like he's over to an incredible extent. Around June, Magnitude Kishiwada comes in, which is great, but it's also a masked wrestler. And the, the fact that they like threw that part of the blood generation story away still kind of bothers me. It's just like, kind of lazy storytelling from what I would expect from Dragon Gate. Kishiwada comes in. I'm a fan of them. I think he's great. It does change the tone of the unit a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think from there, everything that blood generation does for the next year and a half is good, but not great. 2006 is, you know, full on American influence, uh, the borders are open. We want all of these wrestlers to come into the promotion. A lot of them, whether they be Matt Seidel, Roderick Strong, Jack Evans, they end up somehow affiliated with Blood Generation. And that's good. Those are all good wrestlers. But again, it wasn't the original feel that this unit had. Of, cor- of course, Kobe World 2006, headlined by Shima versus Magnitude Kishiwada in a no-ropes match that was later dubbed. And I, I just heard Jay say this on an old podcast I was listening to, uh, the Shima Masturbation Festival in Kobe. And yeah. this is really peak Shima ego. And it, it brings things down. It's a bummer because this is a unit that ends up just really petering out. They, they don't have a disbandance match. They don't have any real big conclusion. They actually just wrestled final M2K. And then both of the units said, okay, we're done. We'll see you guys next month. And then things just uh, reshuffled from there. And it's a real bummer because again, the first six months, but I'll even give it the first year, an unbelievable unit. Yeah, and it's the thing that, like, Gamma just kind of brought the unit down to a slog, and you had all the, the stuff there, because it all really became, then it became about, like, Shima and Gamma not getting along, and it just really kind of, like, did this, and then Muscle Outlaws came out of it. Muscle Outlaws was another unit that was a honorable mention for me, just, like, it was just one of those things that, you know, we did 10. We didn't do 15. If we did 15, then Blood Generation and Muscle Outlaws would have been on this list for me. But it, it's an interesting unit, and Waku Waku Fuji Land is one of those like fun things that like you could tell. And this is something that like you know how I'm against gatekeeping and all that, and it's like where all this you could tell if someone is like an old school Toriyama Dragon Gate fan if they as soon as you bring up Waku Waku Fuji Land, they know immediately what you're talking about. They know about Shisa. They know that Soccer Takawa was a member of Waku Waku Fuji Land. Of course, what an insane proto unit. Yeah, no, a, a bizarre time period in the promotion. Very much rep- just it's like good implication of like, oh, this was Dragon Gate in 2004. We had some stuff to figure out. Yeah, no, I mean, very indicative. I mean, 2004, like that would have been a fun conversation and, and a fun like alternate history. Because we talked about it before, like what would have happened if they started in February of 2005 instead of uh, J- July right after Kobe World. Like you, you, you'd lose a Daiba, you would lose like the monthly pay-per-views. But with the promotion and everyone who worked their way out would have been a lot more of a what would have we would we lost six months of angst or we still would have had to have some growing pains is what i want well yeah because you gotta wonder at that point can things be smoothed over with milano can things be smoothed over with agon isu what's magnum gonna do is magnum gonna piss somebody off in that time off uh mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm very glad things worked out well the way we know the answer did, to that but... third one <laughs> yes. that third one we know the answer for sure for sure so, so Mike, my number your, two, uh, unit, yeah, yeah. Give me your number two. My number two unit 
And for me, Crazy Max is special because it is the granddaddy of Dragon System units. But when you talk about heal units case, what is the first one that really comes to your mind in Dragon System history? Well, for me, it would be Blood Generation, but I think the answer you're looking for is M2K. That's right. M2K, Mochizuki, Mochizuki, and Kanda are my number two unit. And I'm only talking about original M2K. It's one of those things that, you know, it had so many permutations because of how powerful M2K was. Like, there's a reason why, like, they had Shinin M2K and why they had Final M2K. It was because M2K was that important. M2K was, like, that powerful. And the, the whole aesthetic with Masaki Mochizuki and Susumu Mochizuki, who we all now know is Susumu Yokosuka, and Zushi Kanda. Uh, Susumu and Kanda were already a tag team in that second class of Dragon System guys. They won the Yamaha Cup where they won scooters, which, you know, that's, that was very funny. Electric scooters because the M2K entrance is one of those things that I was so glad that it happened on the reunion show and that there was the live gay aura feed so you could see it with the original theme song there. They all come out on the Razor scooters. The only people who have ever made Razor scooters look like badasses. They come out in their Sukiyan jackets. They come out with, with their sunglasses on. And it's just like absolute badasses. Baddest of the bad. Uh, the double ring out committee. When Darkness Dragon comes and joins the unit and when Ginky turns heel, that was just like those five guys in the unit just completely completed. And it had my favorite, two of my favorite matches in Dragon's history come out. The first one being uh, the Mascara Contra Mascara, uh, Darkness Dragon versus Dragon Kid. What's the other one? Oh, the other one. I really like the hair versus hair match. I really do. The 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 uh, Shima Mochi one from two thousand one. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's you're you're very high on that. I I like that match, but uh, uh, not as much. I, I don't have a ton to add here. M two K was my number nine. I am obviously not counting final M two K Shin M two K any of that nonsense. I am counting though the two thousand thirteen revival. When they did Kness, Susumu, and Mochi versus Doi, Swan, and Sachi Hoko Boy and Cork and Hall, because that match mm -hmm. fucking kicks ass. I love that match so much, and I am counting that as original M2K canon. Uh, their 2001 is unreal. Shima versus Mochi. Uh, I think you get the Mochi versus Susumu match. That might be early 2002, but I'm going to count it here for the the sake of proving my argument right. You get the yeah. first real great. Uh, nine-man three-way tags in 2001 as well, and M2K is a giant part of those. They will be referenced on the final Dragon Gate show. They are integral to the promotion, and it's great to see, uh, whereas Crazy Max has not been erased from history, but for obvious reasons, it's really hard to celebrate the legacy of Crazy Max now. M2K lives on, and it's great to see. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about Kness and his shape. I hope that before he goes, we get to have at least one more like Darkness Dragon match. Like, I'm still mad we didn't have like the uh, we didn't have an All Dragons match when we had the opportunity to case. You know, getting Ultimo, uh, Dragon Kid, and Dragon Dia on one side, then you have Darkness Dragon, then you could have uh, a Dia Inferno. I don't know who the third dragon would be in that case. There, I, I guess Problem Dragon. You put Problem Dragon there, and you just have a dragon match. I feel like that, or Bukudama Dragon. We, we'll, we'll put Shimizu back under the mask for that match. Yeah, we had that weird, uh, it was Doi, Yoshino, and Yamato, and I, I had to look this up just to figure out the exact participants here, but it was Doi, Yoshino, and Yamato versus Darkness Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Ultimo. That was in September of 2019. That ended in a no contest, and I can't imagine what bullshit finish they did there, why Darkness oh, Dragon couldn't take the pin. Yeah, God. Uh, man, see, I had every right to be concerned 
in 2019. I was not, I was, oh my God, I was so nervous about the fate of this promotion at this time period. Uh, everything worked out. It's okay. But I would, I would like to see them load up on one more dragon match uh, with all of the family dragons involved before Kness calls it quits. Absolutely. So that was my number two. Who is your number two unit? My number two unit. One that uh, you referenced just a minute ago, Crazy Max. Fitting that we talked about M2K and Crazy Max at the same time. Look, Crazy Max is as legendary as it gets. They made the careers of Shima, Fuji, and Sua. Whether he wants to admit it or not, Sua would not be where he is without Crazy Max. Um, uh, you know, God, they, they are this promotion for the first five years. From 99 to 2004, it, it is a vehicle for Crazy Max. And at times, that was a burden. At times, it was a little too much, a little too much Shima in control and power. But my God, when they were on, uh, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that you like look at Crazy Max. And like the big story about Crazy Max, like I had my big thing about you need to have five mem- members. Crazy Max always tried to have five members in the unit. It just never worked out until Shingo Takagi came for the last three months. Like the members that were in Crazy Max that were ejected before the end, well, well, Yun stayed for a while, but Yun was mainly injured. But you had Taro Sito, Sakura Chikawa had over a year in Crazy Max, Makoto, better known as Kness, Chocobal Kobe were members of it. And, I mean, it was so important that they, even when Crazy Max existed, and even the thing, they launched cra- mini Crazy Max and Torimon X. Like, it's just one of those things, like, this is the fabric. The fabric of the promotion and, and of the Dragon history starts with Crazy Max. Like, it starts in Mexico with it. It's a real bummer that really other than the uh, they did like a mini revival in 2006 that was Shima Fuji and Shingo in a in a trios match. They booked them as Crazy Max. There's been no real legacy of anything they've done since they broke up in 2004. You know, they obviously couldn't get Shima. They obviously couldn't get Sua for the stuff during the 20th anniversary celebration. So we don't really have this you know, long-standing Crazy Max lineage to go off of. And I think that's a bummer because as we've seen, as I just talked about with M2K, it's really nice that at times you'll see them pop up and be referenced and be celebrated. And unfortunately, the same can't be said for Crazy Max. Well, I mean, Taro shows up, and when Taro has an open mic, all kinds of things happen. <laughs> I don't I don't want to celebrate the Taro aspects of Crazy Max. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm here for, Mike. I mean... It, it, it was funny though like going like oh we can't really translate all this promo <laughs> ah, so uh mike do me a favor recap your two through ten please all right so my number 10 was Sazao juku my number nine was junction three my number eight was blood warriors my number seven was monster express my number six was italian connection my number five was mad blanky my number four is crazy max number three was world one and my number two was in 2k is your number one the Jimmies? That's right. It is wow. the Jimmies. Please, Mike. Uh, well, actually, it's your number one. Let, let me let me go first. Let, yeah, me, let me prep yeah, the yeah. runway for you here. Uh, for me, the Jimmies, I, I feel like I'm always lower on them than everybody else, but they were still my number six. I still love them to death. They gave us King of Gate 2012 and Genki. Susumu and Kagatora tag team matches from the foundation of the unit through what they did with the Millennials and beyond. Uh, Sumo Fuji, another real highlight of the Jimmies. Uh, they're the best. I mean, they, in a way, you know, Italian connection, like I said earlier, they represented the embodiment of the Dragon system with these young, hot men doing all this crazy offense. The Jimmies, 
felt like a family, like a like a more encapsulated version of the overall vibe of the promotion, the overall like almost co-op that Dragon Gate is. The Jimmies were just a smaller version of that, and I do love that. Yeah, and to build upon your uh, Italian connection to Jimmy's thing, whereas these were, whereas the Italian connection were the, the hot young guys doing awesome moves, Jimmy's were, you know, like the, these were your dads. They were a bunch of dads out there. They were always were having a good time. And the thing that gets me, and the reason why I put them number one is like, I was never Jimmy's guy. I was never someone that like whenever Jimmy's were around, there was always was another unit that pulled towards me. Monster Express especially pulled towards me because of Kirtazawa. I loved Matt Blanky. Like just like this, this whole time period, like I had my preferences, but Jimmy's every night. I mean, all six of them, like throughout the time, like they were having like these incredible matches. Susumu, being able to get one up on Shingo Takagi and and defeating Mr. Selfish. So like this is like like I know like WWE the idea is like we create stories, we're telling we have moments here. Almost like the last decade, at least for whenever the Jimmy's were around for like that long time. Jimmy's our longest tenured unit, not named Crazy Max. Whenever like the Jimmy's, there's so many just moments there. Like Ryo Saito, you know, like he comes back and decides that he is a uh, middle school principal like that was a part of the jimmy see like they let him do his own thing there and the combat jimmy's uh tanyan's turn after the end of matt blanky and into berserk huge moment there and you know it's one of those things that with how the unit ended and the fact that it was so beloved that they were like okay we're over but we're gonna have one last match one last jimmy train was just like such like a fundamental thing that like when i look at this promotion i look at like what a unit should be like this is a unit that Really, like we talk about number ones, number twos. There was no number one in this unit. There was no like real leader here. You have Susumu, he's number two. Ginky, number two at best. Uh, Ryo Saito tried him as number one. Then they said no. You had like all these guys that come together. They were more than their parts. They're like a perfect encapsulation of like a team to me. And more so than anyone else, any other unit, like no other unit like felt like so much like a cohesive group to me as the Jimmys did. So that's why I had to have him as number one. Let me remind the listeners of my list before we get to my number one, a unit that Mike Spears did not have in his top 10, uh, which I find to be a very interesting development. My number 10 was Monster Express, number nine, M2K, number eight, Mad Blinky, number seven was the Italian Collection led by Milano Collection AT, number six was, uh, for Mike Spears' number one unit, that was the Jimmys, and my top five was Blood Warriors, World One. Blood Generation, Crazy Max. And Mike, would you like to take a guess as to what my number one is? Berserk. Son of a bitch. Yep. Uh my number one. <laughs> my number one uh, Sorry. is is Berserk. I it's I, I, it's a hot take. And of course, I would like our listeners, uh, if they've made it this far on the show and and fingers crossed they have, please at open voice gate. I don't need a top 10. Give me your top three. Give me your top one. I would love to know what people think the best unit of all time in Dragon Gate is. For me, there is something about Berserk from their formation, and, and we'll call it August of 2015, through Kobe World 2016, that is just perfect. Shingo, Yamato, Doi, Kotoka, Tanazaki, Cyber Kong. That unit was perfect. Now, once you get past World 2016, it becomes a little murky. You get Brother Yashi in there. You get T-Hawk in there. You get L. Lindemann, who I, I always just felt like he was miscast there. There's something about L. Lindemann. 
I don't know if you feel this way, Mike. Whenever I see him with face paint on, I lose interest. I mean, he's the boy prince. He shouldn't be mean. No, or he was like, I don't know. I always had issues with the way he was presented to Berserk. He was presented like demonic. Yeah, Yeah. and I was like, no, I kind of just want him to be like like an ADD kid named Cody. It just like tormenting these people through annoyance. (laughs) But instead he was, he was kind of like demonic and I just never, that character was never super over with me, even though they, you know, they did fun stuff with him. They did the, the, uh, who could forget the open the brave gate, uh, brave gate contra Cape match with L Lindemann and Ata, where if Lindemann won, Ata would have to lose his entrance Cape. Ata, uh, retained the title there and was able to keep his Cape as well. But, Which, to be fair, if anyone's cape in that unit should have been destroyed, it should have been Ada's. Oh, notice, noticeably absent from our top tens over generation, a unit that continues <laughs> to get funnier by the day. Uh, <laughs> when, when that was like the thing. I, I obviously did not want Kaito Ishida to leave Dragon Gate, but if he would have shown up, I guess, and you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying it's happening. I don't think it is. But if he shows up on the July 1st great show, uh, which was the the leading rumor in Japan was, oh, that's he's going to be X because they've got an announced X on that show. Um, oh, my God. The over generation material we could have done on this show. Just the funniest fucking unit of all time. Uh, and it only continues to get funnier as time goes on. But oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah, Berserk, you know, I, I just think like, man, that was Kotoko's peak. That was Shingo's peak. That was Yamadoi at their peak. There's a bunch of fun Naoki Tanazaki stuff, and he's a wrestler that I still, whenever he makes tape, I try to track that down because I think he can still go. And, you know, I, I, it seems like he's living a pretty happy life. He seems like a really enjoyable guy on Twitter. I wish he was back in Drangate. I don't see that happening, though. But, my God, just peak Berserk is like nothing else I've ever seen. And it's especially funny because if I was going to rank all of the units in the history of Dragon Gate, I think number one would be Berserk, and the last place unit would be what followed in Antios. Yeah, and I, I guess for me, it was, like, Berserk was my last cut. Like, Blood Generation, Berserk, mu- uh, Muscle Outlaws, and New Hazard were my, uh, were my honorable mentions. Uh, like, everything you said is absolutely true. For me, it just got to the point where, like, you had, like, all the Shingo Takagi versus Ryo Saito stuff. The Antios thing kind of just bled, Berserk bled into Antios. So the end of Berserk to me very much is, like, and, like I lump those two together in a way. And I know it's not necessarily fair, but that's just how my brain operates. In a way, I'm just built different. But uh, it, it, it's something where, like, yeah, no, like, the end of 2015 into 2016 with, like, Berserk. I mean, like we watched that three-way disbands match with Rich a few weeks ago. Like, just like the unit was something. Katoka was just like Katoko is just like it, it, it's really a shame that like they try to run back in a way. Elindaman is Katoka because Katoka was so good at that role. And yeah, so, something that, that I was something that I was deeply opposed to when it happened was Katoka beating Tozawa for the Brave Gate belt. And then it just led into, you know, it, it really took me a long time to come around on Katoka, uh, much more than it took me to come around on UT. Because I've always, I, I've always wanted to believe in UT, but he just shattered my hopes so many times early on in his career that it never happened. Kotoka was a guy who's like, nah, I, I don't want any part of this. I'm not interested. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And he really bled his way into my heart. Uh, B-L-E-H apostrophe D there. Uh, he, his gimmick became so, so entertaining that I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And I just think back to that Shingo Dreamgate run 
just the buzz and the excitement at that time of, okay, he gets through Yoshino. Okay, he's going to wrestle Don Fuji. That Fuji match is amazing. Okay, now he's wrestling Mochizuki in what I think is one of the best matches of all time. We'll pretend the Gamma match never happened. I wanted it to be good. It wasn't. The Shima match, uh, he loses the belt to Susumu and then wins the belt back from Susumu and then has, of course, the Yamato match at Kobe World that year. And it's just... It, I, it's just there's nothing else like it again there's there's a reason they're my number one right now i could certainly uh listen to arguments i think your jimmy's case is very strong crazy max m2k uh even i you know i would hear an argument for the original world one as the best unit of all time i'm not sure i'm there but i would certainly hear an argument for it but to me at their absolute apex there has been no one better than Verserk. yeah and i think that's a completely fair argument i i totally see your point like at peak i mean the the whole image of Zerk with all the titles starting 2016 with shingo using uh pentrum as a stool but it just like bathed in gold was just such like a powerful moment them just like running shop there just was something about uh i, I gave my reasons but i think that's entirely justified uh who were your honorable mentions so uh, I, I'll give you a few here of honorable mentions. Do Fixer, who I, I thought you yeah. might have. Uh, I, they just missed the cut for me. Junction 3, like we talked about earlier, the Millennials. And I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I'm not sure where exactly they would fall. But if I was going to do a top 15 of all time, I think R.E.D. would be in my top 15. I could entertain that. I mean, I feel like that they would be latter third, like they'd be 11 to 15. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I, but if, if we count them, if we count their existence as starting with the Cosmo Sakamoto debut, a month later, you get Pac. You spend that whole year with Pac, which look, I, you know, I did not like the Ata versus Dragon Kid stuff. I did not like R.E.D. versus Ultimo concluding with Ata versus Ultimo. But there was a lot of other stuff that I liked. And into 2020 and beyond, I've been a big fan of everything they've done. I think they have to get credit for Ata versus Doi at Memorial Gate. I think they have to get credit, obviously, for the Unit Disbands match last year. They have a sneaky great legacy. It's been a very frustrating uh, a time for them. There are times where I love them. There are times where I hate them. But I would put them over a heel unit like Muscle Outlaws. I think their existence right now, I think they've been stronger than them. And it, it's... uh. Something that I will continue to look at, this list will continue to evolve, but I, I really think R.E.D. has etched themselves into the upper echelon of Dragon System units. So, so let's play with that for one second. I know we're getting purely close to Hour 3 territory here, but just, just closing out, yeah, you say R.E.D. is someone that you could project out to be in a top 15, maybe moving into a top 10. Taking a look at like the current the current units, of course, Natural Vibes is, is a weird one to kind of discuss. High end is too new, and masquerade is just you know we're only now seeing full masquerade. Is this like the only unit that you think can kind of like you could project out? Because the only other one I could think of is like you can start talking about natural vibes now. Yeah, I think vibes is the closest behind Red. We have a lot. I think there's a lot that's un unknown with natural vibes. What what is KZ going to do at World? What is Kamei's role going to look like in this unit going forward? What is UT going to be able to do as a member of Natural Vibes? How how long are Susumu and Horiguchi going to be able to hold up? They certainly have the makings of, if this is, you know, a six-man combination that 
is existing for another three years and KZ is the Dreamgate champion and you have Susumu, UT, and Kamei revitalizing the twin or the Triangle Gate division, it, it wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, there's just, we, we haven't seen enough of them and I don't know what to do with that yet, but they would certainly be close there. Uh, Masquerade, I think, has been a tremendous success. I look at them almost in like... I don't know, this is going to sound like a dig at them, and it's not, but like, I'm a big fan of Dial Hearts, which was that BB Hulk led unit. It was Hulk, Mochizuki, Shimizu, KZ, and Dragon Kid. A blip on the radar historically, but a unit that in the moment was a ton of fun to watch. They constantly had good output, there were no real holes in their game. I look at Masquerade as a similar vibe where, you know, again, Hulk was the Dreamgate champion when Dia Hearts was in existence. Skywalker's the Dreamgate champion now. Did they feel like the biggest thing in the promotion at any point? No, they did not. Were they consistently entertaining? Absolutely, they were. No, that, that, that's an interesting comp. It's something I haven't really thought about with Masquerade so far. You know, and it's interesting because you have two Dias we're talking about there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I love Dia Hearts. I was sad to see them go. I thought that unit was a ton of fun. That was a unit that I know was specifically very over with me. They didn't necessarily, like, I, you know, nobody is going to do the Dia Hearts retrospective podcast in a few years going, man, that big R Shimizu, oh man, who could forget what he did, you know, with this tag match or whatever. But for me, watching it at the time, I was like, God, every match these guys have is really fun. And I think the same thing can be said about Masquerade now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how these units kind of forecast out. I think that Masquerade has probably the more intriguing one. I think that high end, we kind of see how that's going to go probably as a super face unit. But it's an interesting time. And I'm glad that we chose to kind of take a look back towards this. And, you know, it's nice to remember some some units. Nice to remember some guys. Oh, hey, there's nothing I love more than talking to Mike Spears and remembering some guys. Yeah, uh, I was looking at a wiki while we were while we were wrapping up there because you brought up you you brought Toriumon X a, a little bit ago, and I was like, okay, who are all in the third class? And it was something that like I forgot that Rosse was a member of Toriumon X. This Mike, this is a different podcast. I I promise we're gonna get to this one day. We can't go to the Wikipedia of Toriumon X, or we're going to be here for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for, for the sake of our bandwidth, I think we should probably call it here. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we get out of here this week? Oh, no. Just plug our stuff, Mike. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. I'm at FujiHeyo with two eyes like Don Fuji. Case is at underscore in your case. If you'd like to support the show, please use promo code OTVG at Manscaped.com. That'll get you 20% off in free shipping. But that's going to do it. For Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to OpenVoiceGate. We'll catch you next week. Take care.